Hello, Chance Miller, the revered. Revered. How are you doing? The illustrious yeah. Benjamin Mayo. How are you? <laughs> you can't just use my adjectives. It's back on you. Um, how you doing? You're right. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm happy to be back. Two weeks in a row. Yeah, hey, the double whammy, and I'm happy or thrilled that you, Chance Miller, are attending WWDC this year. Not just you watching from home. You actually home. got an invite. Yeah. We got an invite to the in-person video-watching event. Video-watching experience, indeed. But hopefully there'll be some, I don't know, at least you'll get to walk around, maybe see see a headset from afar, hopefully. But that'd be, that's that's awesome. Uh, And so I'm looking forward to that. And, you know, just in case you were worried they cancelled the whole thing, Apple this week confirmed in a press release on the newsroom that it will indeed be uh, the keynote on June 5th at 10 a.m. Just in case, in case it wasn't happening, you know, they just got to let you, they just got to remind people. Which they act like that was the first time they announced the keynote, but the developer schedule has had the keynote on it all along. Like, yeah, they always do this. Like, even before, like, um, even before COVID, it would be like, you know, the the WWC schedule goes up in the app in like April, and then you know, a fortnight before, a month before, they do the press release, which is like the the press version. I guess they just pretend like the developers net weren't told nothing at all. And that's Um, when those press invites go out too. Is when they publish that press release. Yeah, so that's how you. That's when you got told, basically, which is, which was a nice surprise. And said, I mean, out of all the uh, WWCs of recent years, this is a pretty good one to be in person for because there's going to be some people getting, you know, some sort of hands-on coverage with with the headset hardware. I don't think extensive. I don't think they're going to like let people, you know, go free reign with it. But there's going to be something along those lines, and uh, hopefully, you're in that group of uh, some kind, or maybe you just be able to see it from like because at the very minimum. I feel like they're in that little after they do the the, the WWC video that everybody watches, the press will get shuttled off to the mm-hmm. uh, you know I don't even what you call that room at the top of Steve Jobs Theater, but like the atrium, the atrium I guess, yeah, yeah, um, where they have hands on or at least let you see the benches and you know touch some of the stuff. So it might be that like the headsets, some headsets are on display, but they're like trapped behind glass. You know, like had they announced the original iPhone. Uh, at Macworld, it was like it was in the corridors, but it was trapped behind glass. Um, but there's also other hardware we're expecting, right? Because like the 15 inch MacBook Air rumors are pretty, pretty hot right now. So yeah, it seems uh, like and that's be... something that's more concrete for like short term release. Mm-hmm. Right? It so, seems like that one's been ready and in the waiting for a while. It's just they haven't had a chance to announce it, and I guess it's a new form factor. Maybe they want to give it a little bit of stage time, but. It's not going to be a revolutionary new Mac. It's basically the new MacBook, the M2 MacBook Air, just with a bigger screen. Yeah, I think probably on the original, original schedule, it was probably meant to just come out along with the 13-inch last year, and then some delays got in the way, so it just kind of rolled over. Um, But it is more exciting uh, than, like, the M2 MacBook Pro update in January, so they're like, we'll give it some stage time. Um, And maybe that will roll into a preview of the Mac Pro. Like, that's the other thing that... Is we're waiting to see, um, but that one's far less concrete as to whether it's actually ready even now, you know, even like a year and a half after they said it was coming. Yeah, coming I think soon. Bloomberg has even said it's not coming at WWDC. But is it not coming as in not shipping, or is it not coming as in, like, I f- it's like the perfect venue to, like, tease it, right? Because I wasn't under any illusion that it was going to ship uh, in June. Like almost every Mac Pro we've we've had it. Like they like tease it in the in the June keynote, and then it comes out at the very very end of yeah. the calendar year. <laughs> and so I feel like that could happen again this time. You know, then then it would give the Mac hardware segment um, a bit more meat to it. Like just a MacBook Air on its own would be a bit weird. Uh, they could do the MacBook Air, and they could say, and for our Pro customers, da, 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 we got this exciting thing coming. You know, later this year or whatever. Even when um, they announced the Mac Pro at. What was that? WWDC 2019, I think. Mm-hmm. They had demos of it where they were showing off like just how much processing power it had and how they had to change macOS to be able to take advantage of all that power. So they had demos of sorts then, but yeah, it didn't actually ship until a lot later that year. Yeah, and they they must have had the um, the Pro Display XDR yeah. probably on display, mm-hmm. uh, literally on display. Um, so yeah, that's what I kind of imagine is on the cards hardware-wise. 15-inch MacBook Air is like almost certainty. Headset is almost certainty in terms of them announcing it. Unclear on how much like, you know, physicality it will have in terms of being materialistically in front of you to look at. 
uh, and then the map pro is the question mark where this is the perfect venue for it it is definitely coming uh so it kind of feels and if they keep pushing it back it then becomes even more awkwardly timed with the m3 stuff that right. might even start shipping as soon as the end of this year so like even if they announce the map pro now and it doesn't ship till december it feels less awkward than if they announce it september you know literally around the same time when they start the m3 cycle and uh, so i feel like i if i had to bet i'd say they're going to announce it at least but the rumors don't back there's no like reporting to back that up yet and on the headset and, too the the rumors have been that the hardware has been ready it's just a question of the software and the hardware working together mm-hmm. so that lends a little credence to the theory that maybe they have hardware to look at and maybe watch other people demo but it doesn't seem like based on the recent reporting that the software is ready just to let other people use and go wild with like you would an iPhone demo for example yeah for sure like I reckon some somebody, I don't know what stature of press it will be, somebody will get like, actually put it on your head and actually watch, you know, actually have something happen. But it might not even be like, you can use the OS. It might just be like a pre-canned video that's, you know, in the AR experience just to give you an idea about it. Depends on how far how far along the software is. Because um, they'll demo you- it in the videos and wwc itself right like the actual keynote but they they need some concrete person to like wear one and be like this is way better than this other headset i used mm-hmm. three weeks ago you know and we've seen them invite loads of vr ar specific press so people that never normally get apple invites um not chance miller because i wouldn't <laughs> call you apple <laughs> ar vr specific but other from other publications like uploadvr.com uh, they never normally get an invite to the wwc right. but this year they do because obviously it's topical for what they're going to announce what do you think the story will be for developers? Because presumably, I know on the second day they have some developer experiences or sessions or whatever they're calling them. Do you think mm-hmm. those are going to be hands-on time with the headset or just more? I don't I don't think hands-on time. Yeah. I think it will be like evangelizing. This is why you should make apps. Maybe we have some more demos of maybe somebody else using it um, or some like sneak peeks of stuff that... Because I can also imagine that the, the Tuesday um, sessions are maybe some of the developers that Apple's been working with in, in secret. They might like present like what they've done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously they'll probably in the keynote section they'll like talk about it. It's just from a product perspective, like, like here's this cool new game, right? Blah 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 blah. But then the Tuesday thing, they'll be like, and we used Apple's developer framework X and Y to make this happen, right? That, and so we think you know to give you some like motivation for other developers to also start working on stuff i highly doubt uh it's in ship shape for a developer to like really wear one itself and actually like use the real thing because that's just not how they do it right? right you look at the apple watch unveiling you watch it you look at the ipad unveiling like you um you look at anything like that the, i mean the ipad they never even gave um like a developer kit out at all it was only a software simulator it was announced in january and it shipped in april and you could test it on a mac and that was it um, the Apple Watch uh, was, again, software, simula- software simulator primarily, um, although they did have this thing where, like, you could have, like, a, a, a lottery system where some people got mm-hmm. to come on campus and, like, try it out very briefly. Um, and then, obviously, with Apple Silicon, they sold the developer, you know, the developer kit thing, um, which was, like, the Mac Mini that ran an A12X chip um, just to let people get going with it. For the headset, I don't, I'm not really, I don't think we're really expecting a developer kit necessarily like a dtk model uh i think it will be software simulator and then maybe later in the year they open up like oh you can come on campus to the developer center and try your software running on the headset for real and maybe some other places we do it internationally in like the uk and something to cover some more of the world uh but i it doesn't really seem like you know june 5th developers are going to be getting hands-on time i don't think it's going to happen one thing we've heard about the developer kind of angle of it is that part of the focus at least at the start will be just bringing over ipad versions of apps and so that's probably something that i at least want to touch on just to kind of show sort of like the ios ipad apps on the mac the apple silicon mac like yep. showing developers how to do that oh it's so easy just bring your existing app and people can use it in the virtual reality experience not as much work required yeah. yeah off you go yeah because I think that's going to be the default, the default experience from a lot of apps that exist on the store mm-hmm. today. It's like you don't, they don't need to have a AR specific 3D environment. 
um, like completely made from scratch and the sales of the headset out the gate are not going to justify developers working on it to that degree no because they're just not going to sell enough of them to have enough of a market and so the only way to get a lot of software running is to basically have 2d floating windows yeah. with some you know adaptations and adjustments to support you know um closing your forefinger and your thumb together to select something but mostly it will just be like here's the ipad app running um in a on a 2d plane that you can position in a 3d world right inside the headset i think that's what most of the software is going to be games are obviously separate and to really take advantage of proper games uh, you need to build like a 3d vr game from scratch but i think apple's also going to be like you know all these 2d games that are on the ipad at the moment just get them on the headset too and people can have fun playing it in like a you know a, fo- a fake cinema screen experience just mm-hmm. by just being really big in front of your face i really think that's going to be something they push on because it's the only practical way for them to get a lot of ecosystem uh when the first generation of the headset is only going to sell in very very limited quantities um because you know the apple watch sells in millions and you can barely get developers to make stuff for that yeah. right like um and even like the Apple TV is an unsuccessful App Store platform, and that probably sells in more quantity than the headset does as well. Um, it's only even the iPad is a struggle, <laughs> right? Like there's enough there's enough um, evangelism evangelism required to get people to make iPad specific apps. Um, like the iPhone's the, the success the success story here, and the iPad to a lesser degree. So they have to piggyback off it. They can't they can't put iPhone apps on your headset. It'd just be silly. But iPad apps, which also work on the Mac, so that'll be their play, right? Like last mm-hmm. year we got you to make apps that can run on the iPad, the same code can run on your iPad and your Mac and the phone, and now you can run it on the headset too. So that's going to be a lot of where that initial thing at the gate comes, so that when the thing ships in September, October, November, they'll be like, and we already have 5,000 compatible apps for the Apple Reality Pro headset, right? That'll be the marketing, when really, you know, they're not like fully optimized, fully unique AR VR experiences. It's just the same software you know and love running in a slightly different context. Um and I think that would be true for a lot of Apple's apps. You know, Mark Gurman had that report a couple of weeks ago about all the apps that are going to come pre-installed on the headset yeah. from Apple. And it was like literally every app that exists on an iPad, um, including like the iWork suite and stuff. I'm not expecting Apple to have invested to make brand new, you know, hewn from the earth, completely custom AR VR experience um, applications for all of those pieces of software. I think they will do that for some of them, you know, like FaceTime and maybe fitness and you know, maybe like music, and I'm sure they have some like Apple Arcade games that are specific VR experiences. But a lot of the software is just going to be, you know, here's all the stuff you do on your iPad, but you can also do it on the headset too. Um, which you kind of have to do when you make any new platform these days. Like, it's not enough to just have something that only does one or two things. You know, when you're making anything in that kind of like laptop equivalent, iPad equivalent device, it kind of has to do everything, or at least be capable of doing everything, right? So that's kind of where I see that coming from. The content side of things will be interesting, too, with them supposedly working with companies like Dolby for immersive immersive movies and TV shows and all of that. That'll be that's an area, too, where they could have specific focus on companies like Disney Plus, Netflix, Max or HBO or whatever you want to call it now. I mean, Apple's own. And yeah, and of course, TV Plus. I mean. Yeah, I can imagine it's mostly going to be their own stuff like because you're not going to get you're not going to convince disney netflix hbo to make vr content when the target market is going to be a three thousand dollar headset that's true Uh, right so if you you, to to get to get that stuff available you're going to have to basically make deals and pay people to make it right so if you're going to pay people to make it you might as well make it and brand it as your own originals rather than paying disney to make it you know so Mm -hmm. Uh, I think one of the things flying around is like Prehistoric Planet, which is like the CGI dinosaur series Apple has. Apparently, they're working on, um, you know, VRAR specific content, and I'm sure there'd be some others and stuff, and probably some music concerts that they've adapted, and you know, some sports stuff maybe, or at least announcing that they plan to do VR sports for some maybe next year or something. Um, I doubt they're going to be like, and now we've we've convinced Disney to make you know Marvel in VR. Like I don't I don't really see how that's going to happen. That's the kind of thing that happens in five years time when the headset is more mass consumer. You know, and the like the concerts and the sports they bought that next VR company a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and I've heard from a friend who is he works on music style documentaries and live concert movies and stuff like that. He was filming for an apple tv plus documentary and they had vr crews with that apple tv plus crew so they're 
they're definitely already actively working on that content side of things. Yeah, and I mean, even like the end of last month, they started doing the Apple Music Live video series, including on TV Plus, right? They did an Ed Sheeran concert. You can easily imagine that those like one-off events, they can also film in VR because um, that's stuff that they can do pretty cheaply and, and I mean, actually still have a big impact because being in a concert, you know, that's an immersive experience that makes sense as something like an all-encompassing headset thing that you can do for like an hour, an hour and a half and then put down. Samsung and I think Meta 2 already have some live concert footage in VR. There was... There was in 2017, Samsung worked with Coldplay to film a show they did in Chicago in VR, and they live streamed it to the people who had the Samsung headset. And I was at that show, and it's kind of cool. You can zoom in and like see the people in the crowd, and it, it the even not watching on a headset, just watching the VR footage like on a normal display, you can see just how immersive something like that will be with all the different type of camera hardware. The drones, there's so many different ways to get that immersive content onto a headset. Yeah, you can definitely see the appeal. And Apple has great relationships with music artists and stuff to, to get that content made. Um, and again, it's, you know, you have to license it, right? And you have to pay the artist something to film it. But it's way cheaper than, you know, making a whole TV show in VR, for instance, mm-hmm. right? Which they cost tens of millions an episode just in 2D, let alone 3D. Um so let's talk about the the price of the actual hardware for a second because this week uh, there were a load of reports from analysts trying to do like an estimated bill of materials cost, i.e. how much does the raw components of this headset cost Apple, which then kind of gives a price floor on how much they can charge you. Um, and so from a report from Wilson, uh, Mixed Reality uh, detailed the bill of materials to cost a total of around $1,600 shipped, around $1,400 raw components. When it's shipped, it comes to about $1,600. They expect... Uh, it to be based off an M2 chip design with 12 gigs of RAM, 512 gigs of storage, uh, Wi-Fi 6, Bluetooth 5.3, so basically like a Mac as we expect. Um, the most expensive component in the headset are the OLED displays, the micro OLED displays uh, that are going to be made by Sony. They cost around $300 each, and the camera system, which will have around up to 14 lenses, will also cost around $160. So all in, it's around $1,600. Um, you know, the rumored price point is three grand. Bill of materials at sixteen hundred does not mean Apple can sell it at sixteen hundred. Uh, as long as they're not making a loss, even to break even, you're looking at a good like you know two thousand three hundred dollar kind of range. You've got you know there's way a you've got to, you've got to manage retail processing fees, you know, assemb- final assembly, all the stuff that's involved in actually making something more than just the raw components. And then you also have to consider whether they want to make back any of the billions they spent on R and D on the thing as well. So. Although $1,600 sounds a lot cheaper than 3000 I think you could very easily get close. Maybe if Apple really wanted to push it, they could like sell it around like 2500 or something. Uh, but I don't think... like Everyone keeps bringing up the iPad rumors before that was announced. Mm-hmm. Where it was like the Wall Street Journal reported it was going to be $1,000 and then it came out at 500 And a lot of people believe that you know Apple um, ceded the $1,000 price point to them to on purpose be a surprise that it was half the price. I really don't think that's going to happen this time around. Like everything we see, this thing is expensive. It's using cutting edge components that aren't available in any other headset. The other headsets are, you know, a thousand, fifteen hundred dollars already. So if you're doing stuff that goes beyond that, uh, it's going to be an expensive device. So I think minimum you see twenty five hundred. The rumored three grand price point is probably about right. And Apple probably isn't seeing much margin on that as it is. So they'll see that as quote good value, you know. And every year when there's a new iPhone, we see the reports of the blended bill of materials cost and it's always like so for the iphone 14 pro max the base model apparently the component cost is 464 so that's less than half of what apple sells it for and the iphone obviously they they have have gross margin exactly like the 35 percent range yeah or 40 percent range so you can see where the other there are other costs that come into play and then apple takes margin uh, in this case, we're not really expecting them to have a 35% margin, but it's just the raw cost of the thing is so expensive that it's going to push the price up. And then there's also been some doubts around the name. So like Apple Reality Pro has kind of become the assumed name, but there's been a lot of trademark filings that have been brought up in the last few weeks, uh, especially around like XR OS, XR Pro OS, you know, some other names. I'm sure that part of this is just Apple covering all its bases and trademarking as many names as it can. Uh 
for a while we kind of we kind of thought the OS itself was going to be called like Reality OS to go with the Apple Reality headset, but more recently it seems like XR OS is going to be the name, um, which then casts some doubt on whether the headset itself will be called like Apple Reality Pro, Apple Reality One, like that kind of blending. Um, but to me, that's the only kind of name that I can really think of that doesn't sound terrible. Like they're not going to call yeah. it Apple XR, are they? Like no way. They already did an XR, 10R, the iPhone, the <laughs> iPhone XR. But it's weird. Yeah, and they did make a Pro Display XDR, I guess. But Apparently Pro, I feel like it sums it up enough. Like, and it doesn't sound stupid. Mm-hmm. It's not the best name ever, but I don't think it's the worst name. So I struggled to think of something else to recommend there. It it definitely sounds better than putting like the XR name directly in the title. And I think it was Bloomberg who has said that XR is meant to represent extended reality. Which that kind of aligns with Apple's whole goal that it won't completely cut you off from the outside world. But then if you mm. look at the Reality Pro name, like the Apple Reality Pro, that kind of more gives off a different impression that you're going fully into an Apple Reality designed world. So I'd that is true. Like you, I'd I don't get the correlation between XROS and Reality Pro. And at some point in the process, XROS was referred to in some internal Apple stuff as Reality OS. Mm-hmm. But more recently, they seem to have redirected everything Renewed to it. XRS. Yeah. So, I mean, you could you could think that the name has also changed in correlation with that. And we just haven't heard about it. The name of the headset. But. Yeah, but what would they change it to? Yeah. Quickly, Apple XR. And and XR kind of, like, obviously Apple, you know, is trying to brand it extended reality, but, like, in the industry, people say XR and they mean mixed reality anyway. So, like, it already has, like, a term of art in a different way. Um, So it's a bit confusing, but, I mean, Apple's never been the best with their naming choices, but out of everything that's kind of floated around, Apple Reality Pro is the only thing that really, like, yeah. gels with my head. Uh, But I wouldn't be, like, shocked if it was something else. Uh, just because XROS doesn't jive perfectly with it, um, we'll see. I mean, it's only two weeks away. The names, the names, whatever. They'll announce the name. People will like it or not, and they'll just get used to it. Uh, and it doesn't really matter because this is the high-end, um, limited appeal, yeah. you know, tech demo almost state like just the trophy product. As in, this is Apple making a statement like we're in this market seriously. We're going to blow you away with something that's so expensive that most people are never going to buy it. But if you do get to try it on, you're going to be like, wow, Apple's like leading the market here. That's kind of how I feel like this is going to go down. So when um, they And then they'll follow up with more consumer versions in, in future years. So when they announce it at WWDC, whatever it's called, do you think that they are going to sort of say this is the start and this is a proof of just how great this technology can be? Kind of alluding at the fact that, yes, it's $3,000, Yes, it has compromises, but we're working on it, and there's better, more mass market, more affordable things in the pipeline, and this is what will allow us to start building that ecosystem. I think there are ways to say that um, that message without saying those words, if you see what I mean. Mm-hmm. So, like the way they introduce like something like a product like the Mac Studio, or even like the Mac Pro and Pro Display XDR, like they present them as products, right? That but clearly, they're aimed at a professional, you know, they're, they're aimed at a niche market, right? It's not like when they go and announce the iPhone, they expect everybody to buy it. They can announce high-end Macs and people get it, right? And so I think that's kind of how they'll frame it. Like, I think it's a big mistake if they come out and they do an Apple Watch-style announcement for this thing where they treat it like it's the next coming of, you know... The next Jesus iPhone. Itself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, like, like you can't... The, the Apple Watch event... Tim Cook was so pumped. He was like, you know, putting his arms up in the air. He was clapping. He had the whole audience on their feet. You know, he was like, he was like going hard, right? If they do that for this, it's just going to set them up for disappointment um, and set expectations wrong. I think there's ways to do it where you can be like, you know, this is the the best Apple. Sil- you know, we have brought together the latest and greatest in our hardware teams, our engineering, and our silicon to present the future of extended reality ar however they want to frame it right and they'll say this is the you know this is apple reality pro and it is they can you know even when they did the announced the apple watch they're like this is just the beginning of making the computing even more personal so they can have some line like that where it's like this is the start of a new future of computer or of technology or whatever they want to say right 
they don't have to say we're working on cheaper models, we're working on second generation. This is like I don't think they're gonna say the words proof of concept because they're just not wired that way. Mm-hmm. Like the, they, everything Apple makes to Apple PR is like the best thing ever, right? So I think they can they can push it in that way without it being tone deaf, if that makes sense. And that's kind of what they did with the M1 chip too. They, I'm pretty sure they used the words like the beginning of the next generation of Mac. Yeah, the M1 they kind of undersold, right? Yeah, because <laughs> it was like when they when they did the event uh, in the October. Uh, I think I even said it on this show, like, oh, okay, they're setting you up for, like, this is the beginning and we'll get improvements year over year. And then the things got reviewed and it was, like, the best thing they've ever seen, like, blowing away people. Like, So they kind of undersold that one. Um, and then every future event where they mention Apple Silicon, they they push it to, <laughs> to the degree that it should be. Uh, but, yeah, we'll be interested to see how they frame it. But, again, the most important thing that I'm looking for is just show me what makes this thing cool, right? Because, like... I'm already expecting it not to be like a mass consumer product. So those expectations are are not on the table. If they bring them back by framing it badly, that's on them. But what they need to prove is like all this research and development they've been doing for the last seven years, This they got to justify the $3,000 price tag being like, Mm -hmm. you can do something on this headset that does not come anywhere close on the MetaQuest, whatever it's called. Um, for instance it's more immersive it's more engaging it's higher resolution it feels like you're really there that's how they're gonna try and push it and hopefully realize because i think a great then the pinnacle feature that i've seen in all these reporting is from the mark goma thing where he said the one-on-one facetime they are going for like ultra realistic you know in in person one-on-one call with like an avatar that really looks like a real person Mm -hmm. and if they can pull that off that will honestly be like a huge tentpole thing because every other headset that offers, you know, like AR virtual video conferencing stuff, they're all using cartoony avatars, right? And people, some people do actual work in that. Not many people, but a few people do. But clearly, it would be way better if you could, like, just look in front of you. You see someone who looks rendered close to a real human as if they're in the same room as you. And the Bloom, that same Bloomberg report said, you know, the the, the, the power and the graphics processes, it, processing isn't there to be able to do that for multi-person calls. So they will still be using Memoji or whatever. But for one-on-one, it sounded like they're really pushing to get like a, a realistic thing. And if they can pull that off, that will be really impressive. It has risks, you know, Uncanny Valley issues, all that right. kind of stuff. But if they can do it, that is like a okay this is why they're doing this thing now like apple's you know leading the way on this because no one else offers anything like that at the moment yeah we'll see apple's not we will see always the best at setting expectations but that it's going to be a fine line they have to walk and we haven't seen them like put anything in the press like downplaying it i don't feel you know not that we know of no yeah but there hasn't been like a it's not going to do x y and z yeah. you know like the only thing that's kind of been floated around is the price point and it being like a niche high-end thing which is fair enough but like i feel like if it was going to come out and they uh it wasn't going to have some like crazy feature like if the facetime thing wasn't real or you know just a pipe dream there might have been somebody else at the wall street journal for instance being like um you know you'll be able to do facetime with that emoji or something you know but They've, I feel like they're setting it up and there hasn't been a dampening of expectations in that regard. So feature-wise, I'm I'm expecting a lot, you know, to be like, wow, this thing's cool. Yeah. Uh, whether anybody buys it or wants to buy it is a completely different question. Or if Apple wants them to buy it. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Happy Hour This Week is brought to you by Ladder. If you're anything like me, you have a certain tendency to put things off until the very last minute. Dentists, opticians' appointments, filing taxes, that kind of stuff. And... You know, you can get away with it, it's usually fine, but you shouldn't mess around and wait when it comes to life insurance. Get term coverage life insurance through Ladder today. Go to ladderlife.com slash happy hour to see if you're instantly approved. You know, I started needing glasses recently and that kind of hit me like, I'm getting older and stuff like life insurance somehow feels immediately more relevant. Life insurance gives you peace of mind to know that your family will be taken care of if the worst happens. Ladder is a 100% digital service when you apply for $3 million in coverage or less. That means no doctors, no needles, and no paperwork. It's all done online. You just need a phone or laptop to apply. Fill out Ladder's application form, and their smart algorithms will tell you in real time if you're approved. Ladder has no hidden fees, and you can cancel at any time. Get a full refund if you cancel within the first 30 days. And Ladder's policies are issued by insurers with long, proven histories of paying claims. And Ladder's customers rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars 
on Trustpilot. If you've been thinking about getting life insurance, Ladder is the place to do it. If you aren't sure, but you just want some more information, go on Ladder's website, fill out their online calculator, and you can see the costs and terms of the plan with no commitment. And as the cost of life insurance goes up as you age, now is the time to act and get it done. So go to ladderlife.com slash happy hour today to see if you're instantly approved. That's spelled L-A-D-D-E-R-L-I-F-E dot com slash happy hour. One more time, ladderlife.com slash happy hour. Thanks to Ladder for sponsoring the show. Okay, also excitingly, we've had a bit more insight into maybe what we can expect from the other operating systems. So not the reality stuff, the, the plain Jane, iOS, macOS, watchOS, tvOS. And specifically, Mark Gurman this week had a curious little story saying that iOS 17 is going to try and make like the iPhone more functional in its kind of like always on standby mode by kind of giving it smart display features like a smart speaker with a screen a la you know like the echo show or something and so he said that the new view when the iphone is propped up in landscape will present information like calendar appointments weather and notifications uh like a smart home display obviously apple only has smart speakers at this point they don't have a display version although a a home pod with a screen is rumored to be in the works uh, but this might be a little thing they can do in the meantime, and maybe the software that they develop for this will also then immediately apply to the actual hardware when they have something dedicated. But this is basically because right now the always on display is identical to your lock screen unlocked, it's just dimmed, right? Mm-hmm. Or if you have the settings completely black. Uh, this sounds like they're going to make it so you can actually have a bit more functionality when it's just sitting there dormant. Uh, sounds kind of interesting. What do you think? Yeah, the, when we first saw this report, it was kind of confusing because. It was sort of like, how exactly is this different than what the always-on display already does? But it seems like it's an extension of that that's maybe more customizable. Because the current always-on display, like you said, is just your normal lock screen dimmed. And the normal lock screen itself, even that's customizable, but not widely customizable. You're limited to... It's restricted, yeah. right? Like, you can have two widgets, and that's it. Or you can have three widgets and that's it and the widgets are not dynamic like you know with something more smart display it's like if you've got a timer running you might want like a full screen timer interface to show Mm -hmm. up or you want to say you know call the call on the voice assistant to show you the weather and you want it to like show you big just like you would do on a smart speaker um with with a screen the current iphone lock screen doesn't really give you that much detail right and what you want as your day-to-day lock screen when you're actually using it is different to what you might want in the in the more like ambient mode of it being just kind of sitting there on a stand with this with in always on display mode and it's so this kind of makes sense to me because if they're working on a smart speaker with a screen already Mm -hmm. they might as well just let you do it with your actual phone if you don't have one and then they can just reuse the same you know software when they actually have a dedicated hardware product for it it's the type of feature that would make a lot more sense on the ipad but obviously the ipad doesn't have that existing always on hardware some and it's also weird too i mean it makes sense but this is only going to be available on the 14 pro and the 15 pro because the standard 15 and 15 plus aren't rumored to get always on display i think that's rumored for next year so this sounds both does it have to be always on like maybe if you're connected to power it could work on non always on screens for instance if but i would wonder if apple would worry about the risk of burn-in for the display because that's something that the i think the always on display is able to by being dimmed and by being idle and yeah maybe although you can mitigate that right like you yeah. can have the it doesn't have to be completely static uh but you can also see them make it as an always on display exclusive feature to sell to sell higher end phones. So, uh, but I could see it where like, and that's where maybe how they approach it with the iPad, right? right. Like, you could put it on the iPad and it just be like a dashboard interface. I mean, so I know people that use like the iPad um, attached to a wall, and all it does show is mm-hmm. just show the home app all day long, and they just use it as their like you know home controller with a screen that's attached to the wall when it's plugged in all the time. And I don't think you ha- you know it can be on for a long time without having burning issues. Yeah. Um, so maybe that's how they get around that, that situation. This seems Gurman, yeah, in this report, he says a horizontal in- interface for the iPad is in the works, but he doesn't say that it's ready yet. So maybe again, like the problem with the iPad is it's always behind. Like the iOS gets prioritized for because it's the iPhone, so it gets the cool shiny features. The iPad gets it eventually, 
So for this year for iPadOS 17, we're just waiting for them to do the iPhone lock screen to the iPad, which they did last year on iOS 16. So that's kind of what we're on the plate for this year. And then maybe the always on additional smart display thing is what they come around for iPadOS 18 next year. You know, it's always lagging behind, unfortunately. Yeah, this just seems like the first step for whatever comes next, whether it's for the iPad or for something standalone. I mean, they very well might not want to bring it to the iPad because they're going to want you to buy whatever that HomePod with a built-in display ends up being. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious yeah, and, and how... There's also people who want, like, why can't Apple do a CarPlay UI on your phone instead of having yeah. a separate CarPlay screen, for instance? Uh, which kind of puts some doubt on whether they chip this feature at all. But maybe it makes more sense when you can, like, see it, you know? And I'm just curious how many people have their iPhone kind of set up, whether it's on a desk or especially on a nightstand where they have it charging and they have it in horizontal horizontal orientation. That's mm. something I think that MagSafe makes easier. But, I mean, Apple doesn't sell anything that can let you mount an iPhone horizontally with MagSafe. Maybe this Yet. is the year where the MagSafe duo dies and we get something better that can mount yeah, maybe the iPhone like that. Maybe like a landscape stand, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Because I, 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 I use my iPhone, when it's on my desk, it's on a vertical desk. Yeah, me too. Charging, charging thing. Uh, so, yeah, horizontal only thing wouldn't necessarily apply. But it does kind of sound a little bit similar to, like, nightstand mode on the Apple Watch. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's how stuff like the MagSafe Duo came around. They sold a charger that you could put in landscape. And obviously the, the MagSafe Duo came later, but originally just had that charging dock thing that was literally just, you can put it in landscape and activate nightstand mode. So... You know, Apple's accessory teams love to make a forty-nine dollar accessory. Yeah. They're going to prop it up in a different direction. A lot more than forty-nine dollars, but in yeah. this case, but <laughs> what, at least forty-nine dollars. What's the forty-nine dollars? Mag- it's just a stand. You have to buy. You have to put the charger in separately. What's the MagSafe Duo price? It's still like, is it nine hundred and twenty-nine? Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't even support the fast charging watch charger. Nope. Three, as I- in Series Seven. I don't even think it supports and the Apple fast... Charger doesn't fit on it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the the MagSafe Duo has kind of been doomed since it came out, unfortunately. Uh, and also about iOS 17, German says that Apple is working on SharePlay and AirPlay enhancements. Uh, I, I'm going to read a little quote here because I thought it was really interesting, not that I really understand it, but Apple has reportedly held discussions with hotels and other places that offer TVs and speakers aiming to make it easier for users to beam video and audio to devices that they don't own. So this makes a lot of sense to me, I think. Main if you go a lot of more modern or updated hotels already have some sort of smart TV and the one of the most common things you see now is support for whatever Google's casting thing is called where you can cast content from an Android phone or even from like YouTube on an iPhone sometimes. And expanding that or and giving AirPlay as another option to Google casting would be a big benefit for iPhone users. And we've kind of already seen Apple expand AirPlay. I mean, you can get it on a $30 Roku stick now. Yep. So if you kind of put all that together, bringing AirPlay to hotels and even like gyms where they have displays on whatever the equipment is, that that would be a really nice improvement, I think. But does that actually need... I guess what I was confused by is does that actually need like ios 17 like couldn't they just yeah that's partner true with a gym and just make them have a roku stick plugged <laughs> in you know and then you could airplay to it or whatever uh, so maybe there's some like slight improvement to the feature there to make it like a bit more seamless or something uh, but yeah i agree with you if they can just get penetration in more places for airplay that would be that would be nice because um, what i see constantly with people with who are watching apple tv plus on their iphone they want it to support chromecasting because <laughs> yeah the thing that they're projecting to doesn't support AirPlay. It supports Google Chromecast. Uh, and the Apple TV app does not support Google Casting. Uh, so, if, you know, one way to fix that problem is to support Google Casting. But the Apple way to fix the problem is just to make AirPlay more pervasive, you know. So that's the other it's the other end of the of the spectrum. But that's the way Apple tends to go. So as, as you said, they've done it on, you know, AirPlay. You can get on Samsung TVs. You can get on... LG TVs, you can get all sorts of other manufactured TVs. You don't need Apple TV box anymore. You can get it on sticks like the Roku stick. And so just pushing that initiative to places out in the world that maybe haven't adopted that kind of stuff yet or make it easy, even easier for them to do it, uh, that would be great to see. 
I'm just curious to see what exactly Apple can go to hotels and say, because Apple's not going to buy a hotel 300 Chromecast to put in every room. So maybe it's a maybe there's a way to integrate with the existing smart TV software that's on a lot of hotel TVs. Maybe there's some sort of lightweight AirPlay that they can roll out to those. But again, I don't know how this ties into iOS 17, like you said, and I don't know exactly how Apple can do this short of paying ho- paying for hotels to upgrade. <laughs> and that's not going to happen. They'll find a way. They'll do something. They'll. It'll be available at one boutique hotel in Cupertino, and yeah, that's the other thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they'll be like, we've partnered with the Marriott Hotel for in these three locations. <laughs> a bit like what's that feature? Um, Apple Wallet key cards. Yeah, that was. Te- I guess that was technically an OS feature, but really, it just depends on partnerships and. They didn't make many of them. I've stayed at a lot of hotels, and I don't think I've ever encountered that still. I really think it's only at like a few dozen places worldwide. Because lots of the hotels have digital keys now, but they do it through their own system. Their own system, their own app, like Hilton. You'd use the Hilton app to open the door to your room. Yep. Well, we'll, I guess we'll find out very shortly. (laughs) Maybe. Um, Logic and Final Cut Pro for the iPad is now available. It shipped this week, so we had some reviews come out. Kind of what I expected. Like, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of features missing, but it's a. I think they, you know, they got relatively positive reviews. It just depends. It's always going to be the problem of if it doesn't support X, Y, and Z, I can't use it for my workflow, and so it's like it exists. People might, some people might use it, but the quote professional probably just going to always prefer to edit on a mac but you can never start trying to convince someone to edit on an ipad until you have the apps available so they're starting you know they're on the they're on step one of that very very long process and it would have been probably more preferable if they'd have started on step one four years ago so that the version four is more developed but here we are they got version one out the door it generally based on the reviews that i saw uh logic seems a bit more feature complete than final cut pro is uh, but both share some drawbacks especially regarding to like lack of keyboard shortcuts and final cut pro especially has just a load of missing features like color correction you know importing you can't even round trip to the mac version of final cut pro yeah uh, where you can with logic you know all the plugin issues file management the fact that you can't reference files from external disks like there's all these plethora of problems uh, but the core app experience people were generally pretty positive on and i don't think there's any real reason why apple can not now spend the next five years implementing all the missing features that the mac version has so i'd say it was a pretty positive launch um but i think you can see why they haven't like immediately unified the ipad app with the mac app because the mac apps are just so much further ahead but they can start now with the ipad versions slowly incorporate all the missing features and then maybe then the ipad version just becomes the de facto version across both platforms because every other thing we see apple do they try and minimize now repeated code or redundant code on both platforms when they can but right now they can't do it because logic and final cut pro and ipad are just not feature complete enough but i think there's a you can see the roadmap right and there's nothing to suggest that they're not going to keep working on these things so as long as they do and as long as they keep adding stuff i think these will turn into pretty capable apps in the not too distant future it kind of reminds me of when they they you know they uphauled final cut pro originally back in i think it was 2012 mm-hmm. so when final cut pro 7 was retired in favor of kind of final cut pro 10 a lot of people were very effusive about like the new UI, the magnetic timeline metaphors, you know, the the advancements and the features that Apple was bringing. People, you know, the video editing community were like really happy about, but there was loads of complaints because Final Cut Pro 10, because it was a massive rewrite, also was also missing, you know, a huge laundry list of features. But fast forward many years, all those features eventually came back, and the people that stuck with Final Cut Pro now seem to be pretty happy with it. Obviously, it took them so long to bring that stuff back that. Uh, the professional community f- um, kind of fled to other pla- to other things like Avid or you know Premiere or DaVinci, uh, but that doesn't really apply because on the iPad nobody's professional is using an iPad to edit at all these days. So you can start from a blank slate and work upwards. So I would say like yeah, obviously there were loads of headlines about missing stuff, but I think it was a pretty pretty positive launch overall. It seemed like they've done pretty well here. And you can see the roadmap for what's next and what's kind of the low hanging fruit to bring better parity with the macOS versions, but 
some of the features that especially Final Cut lacks, it's not necessarily because it was a conscious decision by the Final Cut team not to add it, but they're kind of handcuffed by some of the iPadOS system level limitations. Mm-hmm. So it's good. they'll have to be. And ultimately, as iPadOS, because presumably this will put pressure on iPadOS teams to add those features that can then make Logic Pro on the iPad better. And in the long run, that could go a long way towards more powerful third-party apps and finally giving some of those system features to everyone because the Logic Pro team now needs those features. Yeah, that that is the ideal um, situation. Unfortunately, <laughs> there are many teams at Apple that work on apps that I think have very little correlation to the OS uh, platform. That's teams. true. iWork is a great example, right? Like, iWork, the iWork team make pretty complicated, sophisticated apps for Mac, iPad, and iPhone. Uh, and I'm pretty sure they all work in like Philadelphia or something, um, in like their own in their own offices out wow. the way, and. I don't think they have much um, sway on the OS roadmap at all. Like, when, in in some cases, I think they learn about the features when they get announced. Like, yeah, and then they spend the summer implementing them. Um, sometimes they get heads up, obviously, but I don't think they necessarily have, like, we want to be able to do X, Y, and Z. And then, like, the iPad OS team are like, okay, we'll go and make it happen. Like, unfortunately, it doesn't necessarily always work that way. Like, the. From what I can gather, the OS direction comes like top downwards. And so just because there's like app teams that want something to happen doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen. Uh, but they can always change processes. They improve, you know, they, they, for the Mac, they have that pro workflow team mm-hmm. that have clearly made him, they've clearly made their mark and made stuff better. So, you know, in the ideal world, the pro workflow team also now can give feedback on the iPad versions too. I guess uh, it also depends on whether the long term roadmap includes some sort of merge between the iPad versions and the Mac versions of Final Cut and Logic. Because like you said, they try to reduce sharing. They try to reduce using new or unique code between iPad, Mac, and iPhone nowadays. So you have to think that long-term, they want to unify the apps. They want to move Final Cut and Logic on the Mac to subscription. They want to add support for round-tripping for Final Cut Pro. So that could be an argument in favor of maybe more rapid improvements than we might otherwise see, especially if mm-hmm. you consider the subscription revenue component for services. They could, they, I 100% agree with what you just said. I will say they could move the Mac apps to subscription, but without changing the software that they are, right? Like yeah. they could just change the pricing model for them and not, and still like, so if it's, let's say they've, they've, they've estimated internally, it's going to take, 10 years to bring Final Cut on the iPad up to scratch with Final mm-hmm. Cut on the Mac. As an interim measure, they can just make the Mac version subscription pricing, right? And just keep them with their AppKit core, you know, the, the same Mac app, and they'd have the two separate tracks with the eventual goal of unifying them. But short term, they unify those, they just unify the price, the pricing structure, uh, which I think probably makes sense. Like, I think the the five dollars a month is like not terrible pricing for what you get but no. it'd be way more convincing if you could say like for that five dollars you get access to both the mac and the ipad version um so it's just like one subscription for both uh which i kind of hope is where they're going with it uh but they just weren't ready to do announce that yet i just um, we already see we'll the see. pushback to the subscription for the ipad versions which i think like you said it's reasonable and it's better than it makes it a lot more accessible than charging 200 300 up front but I think on the Mac... Final Cut and Logic being one-time purchases and Apple never charging you again was an outlier, right? Mm-hmm. Like In the old days, you know, before the iPhone became so big that the iPhone was really all that mattered in terms of Apple's bottom line, you know, Apple would make non-negligible amounts of money from selling you boxed software, right? So Final Cut Pro 6 would come out and it cost... X hundred dollars, then Final Cut Pro Seven would come out the very next month, year, and cost you X hundred dollars again. And when they did Final Cut Pro Ten, they were promoting the Mac App Store at the time, and so they promoted the business model of the App Store at the time that the software came out, and that was one-time purchase, make it cheaper than you would sell box software uh, because you don't have those um, costs, and you'll be able to access the entire audience of Mac customers. And so they, you know, 
they 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 ate their own dog food. They did Final Cut Pro at a very reduced price, two ninety nine, and you've been able to use it for that same price for the last decade. Practically, you kind of lucked out there, right? Like, right. if it, you you go a decade earlier, Apple would be charging you every year or every other year for Final Cut Pro updates. Um, and so, fast forward to twenty twenty three. What is Apple evangelizing all developers to do? Subscription pricing. What does Apple do now with its software? Subscription pricing. And I think the $5 is, like, obviously, you know, just without any context, is much better to only pay once and have it forever than than having to pay month on month. Mm -hmm. But if you actually look at the pricing, it's not that bad. Like, $5 a month is equivalent to, like, six years of paying $300 up front. And so if you take the entire lifespan of Final Cut Pro 10 on the Mac you'd have paid twice as much money across the entire 10-year span if it was a $5 a month subscription. And you don't have to pay every month. That's part of it. You might have a month where you're working on a big project that you need Final Cut for, and then that project's done, and you might not have another Final Cut project for six months. So you can cancel that subscription and start paying again when it's time to work on the next thing. So that's something I don't think a lot of people necessarily realize is that you just don't have to keep paying. You can pay it when you use it, cancel, resubscribe. And if you want Apple to continually work on Final Cut Pro and Logic, a subscription model is much better incentive alignment. Because one of the criticisms of Final Cut Pro over the last decade is that they haven't shipped new features, especially Logic for Mac, they haven't shipped new features on the same cadence as like Adobe does with its, you know, Adobe Audition and whatnot. But the reason why is A, Adobe, Adobe's whole business is selling you software, but also they charge you a monthly subscription for it. And their subscription is way more than $5 a month. So I'm, I'm you know, I'm not going to like welcome it with open arms, but I think it's fine, right? So people getting too mad about the subscription stuff, I don't really have much time for, really. So like, do you, you see... Don't to, you don't have to spend it, you know? Do you see a world where other... I'm trying to think other Apple... That's the thing. I struggle to think of another Apple app that could really fit that goal. Because these are pro apps, right? Like, what Mm -hmm. other Apple app is Apple sell for $300? None of them. Because you can't... I don't think, anyway, that you can move something like iWork to a subscription. No, I don't think it's complicated enough. And, like, I think iWork is... Like, it's it's way closer to just, like, a feature of the hardware. Like iWork exists so that you get like a free decent office suite as like a perk of the Mac uh, and you know in the old days they did charge for iWork but that was a high, hugely different scale of economics right in terms of where Apple was making this money these days like the amount of people that would pay for iWork overpaying for like Microsoft suite mm-hmm. is so small that it wouldn't be worth it for them in fact it'd be a negative because right now they can say like buy a Mac and you get iWork for free and it's a, like a bonus whereas if you suddenly made iWork subscription pricing it would probably just like reduce the amount of people buying Macs. And even if they did buy a Mac, they'd probably buy Microsoft Office instead of um, Apple software. Like, Final Cut Pro is kind of a different strata, I think. Like, they're not going to put a subscription on iMovie. That'll just carry on being a free mm-hmm. free built-in thing. And as a free built-in thing, it will get slightly dilapidated, slightly left behind, slightly ignored. But it is free, you know? Like, that's just how this thing works. And, I mean, something else that we'll probably see more of, too, is on the iPhone side of things. I mean, if we have emergency SOS via satellite, like that's eventually going to be a subscription. So I think mm-hmm. that'll probably be Apple's plan is just to lock new things rather, because it's controversial anytime you move something that's currently free or one-time purchase to a subscription. I look at what they do with Xcode, for instance, right? Because mm-hmm. Xcode's a complicated app that you could theoretically say, well, you know, they charge Final Cut Pro, won't they charge for Xcode? Well, with Xcode, they're making 15 to 30% of anything that you make from Xcode, mm-hmm. right? So, A, that's where they get the money. But B, they already are monetizing with a subscription through Xcode Cloud, which is like this add-on service you can get inside of Xcode to do stuff that other third-party companies offer and do charge for. But now Apple's like, well, we'll just make our own version of that and charge for ourselves. So that's how I think they're additionally monetizing that kind of stuff. So maybe in the long arc of time there's like an iWork Pro or like iWork special features that you pay extra for uh, but I just think the, the reality there is the market's not big enough for them to care and to do it there's just other places where they can make services that would be way more meaningful um, like all this health stuff they keep talking about right like mm-hmm. you know a couple of weeks ago German had a report that Apple was working on this kind of like AI health mental health coaching thing which would be a paid subscription like that that's that kind of stuff has way more 
potential to make Apple a lot more money. So that's where they're going to focus, I think. There is a certain amount of just weirdness in trying to justify or think about why or how Apple needs this subscription money. There's a world in which they could not charge for any of this and still be fine. That is true. It's just it's true. it's a bizarre thing to think about a almost trillion dollar company charging five dollars a month for an app. But if it gets new features and it incentivizes them, then ultimately it's good for everyone. And I, I it somewhat de-risks them from the thirty percent thing with the app store, right? Like that's true. Part of the reason they are so. Um, I think they are so pushing to get subscription revenue every single different avenue they can because I think they see long term there's going to be an issue where they're not going to be able to get the app store is not going to be as profitable for them as it is at the moment. I don't know if it's going to be next year, two years, five years, ten years, but at some point, I think it's unlikely that Apple will be able to make fifteen to thirty percent of all money made on all software made on its platforms forever. It just, you know, something's going to happen that means that doesn't happen anymore. Either there'll be regulation or Apple's platforms will become um, not interesting anymore. You know, like there'll be some something will happen. And so a way to diversify is to have your own services that you're actually making money from. And it would also just make the business way more happy because when they say, you know, they've they got record for service revenue, it'll be for stuff that they're actually doing, not just like a little cut that they're making. So... That's kind of why I kind of see why they're doing this kind of stuff. Um, and charging for a pro application is not offensive, right, to me. Mm-mm. So it's it's like that's that's the I'd much rather make subscription service revenue that way than say you know iCloud or something. You know, do you know what I mean? Like, there's different strands of services when people like criticize it in that way. Anyway, switching gears slightly, uh, Apple also this week announced a multi-billion dollar multi-year deal with Broadcom for 5G components. Uh they announced a deal that is part under the under part of their advanced manufacturing fund. Uh Broadcom will develop 5G radio frequency components including F-bar filters whatever they are <laughs> and cutting edge wireless connectivity components. They will be made they'll be designed and built in several key American manufacturing and technology hubs including Colorado. Something- so I think this is independent of whatever they're doing with Qualcomm. Yes. So, like, even if they, Apple and Qualcomm were best friends, they would still need this Broadcom deal for other components that were involved in the same kind of thing, but different, right? I don't know enough about 5G components to really know, but, I mean, part of the background here, too, is, I mean, Apple is working on its own 5G modems, so this could yep. be part of that where they there's aspects of that technology that they can't or don't want to make in-house so they they can do what they can in-house and then work with Broadcom for F-bar filters or whatever. Yep. And maybe that does help them break off with Qualcomm a bit more seamlessly than they would otherwise. That makes sense. That makes sense. Because, yeah, like, this isn't... I guess, I guess what I was trying to say is this isn't just, like, they used to have a big multi-year, billion multi-year deal with Qualcomm for 5G mm-hmm. stuff, and now they've switched to Broadcom. It's like, no, it's like yeah. both things apply, right? Like, they previously got F-bar filters from somebody else, and now they're going to get them from Broadcom exclusively under this multi-year deal is kind of where it's, is where it's going. Yeah. And you're perfectly right. Uh, you know, when they make their own X, Y, and Z, they probably have designed also all the components to go with it, and part of that will be made by Broadcom, right? And, and-, and then... Qualcomm will make royalties, but probably not to the same degree that they used to when there were like literally Qualcomm chips inside the phone. And in 2019, Broadcom was actually trying to sell part of its wireless chip, like radio frequency business. And Apple was one of the companies that was in the running for that. Ultimately, nothing ever came from that. And Broadcom publicly like said that they decided not to sell. So this might be some sort of indirect way for Apple to keep supporting Broadcom's work to avoid giving Qualcomm even more power. Because the acquisition price for that frequency business was, I think, around $10 billion. So that would have been Apple's biggest ever acquisition. Yeah, how, how much they buy Intel for? $1 billion? Right, not not buy Intel, but they bought Intel's motor. Yeah, I think it was a billion. billion. Yeah, their biggest their biggest acquisition ever was Beats, which was three billion. 
Um, so yeah, 10 billion would be quite a leap. So I guess it, they don't need to buy Broadcom, they can just make an exclusive deal with them. Yeah, whatever works. Whatever works. Finally this week, uh, Mark Gurman says that soon Apple will sell TV Plus merchandise directly through the Apple online store, beginning with Ted Lasso Nike merch that should be available in June through Apple.com. So previously, you could get Ted Lasso merch through Warner Brothers online store, through Nike.com as of this year with the Nike partnership. Um, but do people really know they exist in those places? Where it would make sense is for this stuff to be sold directly through Apple at Apple.com and retail will have like posters or whatever to tell you where you can go and buy it online. Uh, I think this makes perfect sense. Ted Lasso is a huge hit for them. You know, you might as well drill up marketing and you know make a bit of extra money by selling some merch uh i don't know why they didn't do this like in year one when ted right. lasso immediately became a hit like the fact that it, it took them like a year to get any merch at all and then it was only available through the warner brothers website was just a terrible state of affairs now they have this nike partnership but the nike stuff launched like a month and a half ago along with the launch of ted lasso season three and now german's saying that the ted lasso stuff will be available after season three has ended <laughs> <laughs> which if you believe apple is the end of the show right. so the timing seems a bit uh suboptimal i'm trying to think of other shows and if we'll see other shows have merch sold through apple because no no show has the sort of recognition obvious and, merch yeah yeah ted last yeah. is just so obvious with the believe stuff the jerseys the afc richmond logos like i can't think of another apple tv plus show that has that that power and yeah, so if you ignore the popularity issue, like maybe something like Severance, you could sell like the little like finger trap things That's they true. play around with, or like yeah. the mugs or like computer keyboard kind of stuff. Like you and you don't, you can just have merchers in t shirts with the logos on, right? Mm-hmm. But there's no real point doing that unless people are going to buy them. And for people to buy them, you need the shows to be popular. And Ted Lasso is like orders of magnitude bigger than any other TV Plus show they have right now. Um, you know, Severance is really... I love Severance, and it's really critically acclaimed, but the viewership is pretty low. Um, and even if the viewership's high, it's high relative to the rest of the service, excluding Ted Lasso, because Ted Lasso is, like, a phenomenon unto itself. And, you know, Ted Lasso isn't, like, as big as Netflix shows are, because it's just not the, the scale that you're talking about. It's big, and it does well, and Ted Lasso is the only uh, Apple TV show to chart on the Nielsen streaming ratings. Mm. So clearly somebody's watching it, right? Like, I think it gets, like play six or play seven while the season's ongoing um but for the rest of the year you know tv plus has no presence on that chart and netflix dominates it so that's just the reality of the streaming world like uh you know um most of the other services don't have hits that are as big as netflix hits either like a a, a, a top 20 netflix show is bigger than 99 percent of all of apple's content it's just the reality of the world at the moment but obviously you know apple's persevering making more content and when they do have a hit like ted lasso they should capitalize it and exploit it however they can so I'm sure there's some really, really boring, dumb, legal reason why they couldn't have merch available sooner. Um, probably it's because it came under the Warner Brothers license or something, mm-hmm. so they had to negotiate with them and have some stupid mess. Um, and then there was production delays because of COVID and like a whole multitude of factors. But clearly, I think in an ideal case, there would have been Ted Lasso jerseys available directly from Apple. Even directly listed in the tv app below the show right like after it became successful um but at least they're doing it now do you think ted lasso is really ending in a week's time when the finale of season three comes out i don't think so i don't think there's any way it does i think ted lasso as we know it might end but it'll either continue as i mean this whole season has very clearly been about creating a extended universe for a show without Jason Sudeikis himself. I mean, there's episodes this season where Ted Lasso is a B or C tier character. He doesn't have the main storylines. He's just, he does his little thing in the locker room and then they jump out to Keeley's PR firm or Roy training Jamie and building that character. So that's, there's, like you said, it's such a big show and it has so much brand recognition. There's no way. Yeah, so I think maybe next week, like maybe when after the finale comes out, they'll be like, and surprise, we're now working on a Roy Kent show or something. You know, like I yeah. feel like that's probably what's going to happen. Um, 
because even if you look at the uh like the sh- the show description for the final episode of season three that's now available in the app because you know it's coming next week it says um season finale not series finale and all the other apple shows that end like they always put series finale uh, so there's a little hint for you probably going to continue in one way or the other they'd be stupid to let it go and that is the happy hour podcast for this week thank you chance miller for joining me to talk about this stuff i can't wait to see all your wwc coverage now that you'll be there in person yeah. even even better and i'm sure you'll be talking about it on 95 mac daily which is the daily news show you do for 95 mac um, people can find that in apple podcasts if you like happy hour you'll probably like daily too um, where else can people find you online chance uh instagram twitter and mastodon it's just at chance h miller and on daily next and week I... you if you like happy hour you might especially want to listen to probably thursday or friday's episode i think we'll have a special guest named benjamin Who mayo that be yeah oh that'd be nice that'd be a nice surprise <laughs> <laughs> and you can find me on twitter and mastodon at bza mayo and of course you can find all of our work on 95mac.com if you like this podcast uh, go to the app store leave a rating five star review whatever you want and you can subscribe for 4.99 a month uh, to get an ad free version or you can support our sponsors like ladder in this very episode we will be back next week bye bye